Today's scripture reading comes from Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 11, and you can find it printed in your bulletin. This is the word of the Lord. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means, how can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, I imagine uh, a good chunk of you are uh, here for Liana's baptism. We're going to have a baptism today. And so what I thought I would do is preach on baptism and talk about baptism. And, uh, you know, the reason it's important to talk about baptism is twofold. Uh, I know there might be some people in here who are not uh, Christians and therefore not really familiar with some of the practices of the Christian faith. And so uh, for you, at least, I want you to understand what baptism is and why baptism is so significant and the meaning of baptism. Uh, but for others, maybe you have been baptized and you, are, uh, you do profess to be a Christian. Uh, I want you to remember uh, the meaning of baptism. Uh, I want those of you who are already baptized to remember the significance of baptism even in your own life. Now, baptism is one of two sacraments that we observe as a church. And what is the sacrament? Simply put, a sacrament is a visible sign that communicates uh, an invisible grace or invisible truth. It's a visible display of the truth of the gospel. So, for example, you have a wedding ring. A wedding ring is also kind of a sign, and a wedding ring is a visible sign that points to vows that you made to a particular person, to your spouse. Uh, a blue sign with an H is a sign. It points to where the hospital is. We use signs all the time to point to something. And in a in the similar way, baptism is like a sign, and it's meant to point to something that we have received in Christ through the gospel. Now, when you become a Christian, uh, you get baptized. Uh, it's just part of becoming a Christian. And what that means is this, that uh, becoming a Christian means you have accepted and received Christ. You have accepted and received this message of the gospel that Christians profess to believe in. But becoming a Christian, of course, doesn't mean this. It doesn't mean that you are now perfect. It doesn't now mean you are without sin. There is still pride in your heart. There is still arrogance. There is still self-centeredness and lust and greed and all other kinds of nasty junk within our hearts at all times, even though we have been baptized, even though we profess uh, and receive the gospel. Because, you see, Christianity is not ultimately about this kind of uh, moral reformation or this kind of behavior modification, but at the heart of it, Christianity is about transformation of the heart that God does. Not something that we do, but something that God does that God ultimately initiates. And that means baptism is not this like magic ritual uh, that makes us snap into being this uh, perfect, sinless person. But baptism is uh, merely a sign pointing to this message of the gospel that we've received and, and accepted. And therefore, that, you know, that means baptism is important. 
and therefore all believers, if you are a believer, you should be baptized. Why? Because it's a means of grace, and it's supposed to help you in your battle against sin. There's this theologian, you know, this is the 500th year of the Reformation, and there's this theologian named Martin Luther, and he, there were times when he really struggled with his faith, and there was times where he struggled with a lot of discouragement, and so there's a story that I read once where on his desk, he had these two words written out in Latin, baptizatus sum, which I think translates into I am baptized, and he would look at those two words, I am baptized, and he would derive great encouragement from it. In fact, when he would counsel other people who were struggling either with sin or struggling with other kinds of things, he would tell them this. He would say, remember your baptism. Right? Remember your baptism. Because baptism is something that is supposed to encourage us. And according to Martin Luther, we should remember our baptism over and over and over again. Why? Because when we remember our baptism, we remember the meaning of baptism. And so if you have been baptized and perhaps you are struggling with your faith, this message is also for you. It's meant to encourage you, uh, encourage you to remember your baptism as you witness a baptism taking place here today. So what is the meaning of baptism? You know, this is going to be a, a shorter message than usual, but uh, what is the meaning of baptism? I basically just want to look at two simple aspects of baptism and what baptism is supposed to communi communicate. Baptism communicates judgment. And baptism communicates new life. And in order to do this, what we want to do is we want to look at just something very simple, the mode of baptism, which is water. Why do we baptize with water? You know, for us, water represents a lot of good things. Uh, we drink water to hydrate. We use water to take a shower and to wash ourselves and to brush our teeth. And in an industrialized world, water is something that is generally safe, and water is something that is generally well-contained. We have control over water, or we seem to have control over water because we could just simply turn a faucet on or off. But if you look at how the ancient people understood water, and if you look at how the Bible viewed water, it's a little bit different than maybe how we view water today. Because in the Bible, water is something that is often associated with chaos and destruction and judgment. Because for people in the ancient world, water is this powerful, destructive, uncontrollable force. And just think about some of the weather-related disasters that we've had even just this past year. Uh, you think about the hurricanes that we've had, the flooding in places like Houston, in the Caribbean, in places like Puerto Rico, and how much devastation that it resulted in. If you think about the tsunami that took place a couple years ago in Japan, it, it essentially destroyed everything. Water uh, is actually not something that is safe, something that we can always control. And that's how the ancients understood water. You know, from the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis 1, water is also used to communicate this idea of chaos and disorder. Uh, before God creates the world, it says this, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, again, meant to communicate the fact that in the beginning there was just chaos, and God comes, and in his creative act, he creates order out of this disorder, out of this chaos. In the story of Noah, uh, when humanity has gotten so corrupt, and God actually says, I regret creating man, what does he do? He brings upon a flood, flood waters of destruction and judgment, and humanity, aside from Noah and his family, are wiped out. In Exodus, in the story of the Exodus, Moses, he lifts up his staff, he stretches out his hand over the sea, divides it, and as the Egyptians pursue, Moses stretches out his hand again, and the sea closes upon uh, the Egyptians. And so when we just do kind of a brief survey of the Bible and how water is used in the Bible, uh, it's very clear. 
Water communicates chaos, destruction, judgment. But you know, there's also another meaning to water that we see in Scripture. Water also communicates new life. So, for example, you have in Ezekiel, it says this, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. In other words, God says, God promises to use water to cleanse and to make you new. Water also has this dual purpose of salvation because just as Noah and his family are spared and saved through the flood waters, uh, so also the rest of humanity is judged so that you have that dual purpose there. Uh, after the flood subsides, God says this, bring with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on earth. And if you just compare that to the language of creation, God is basically saying this, out of the floodwaters, I am going to create something new. This is a new creation. So in the Bible, water doesn't just mean judgment, but water, you also get this idea of new life, new creation. Now, what do these stories have to do with baptism? You know, interestingly, the New Testament, when it refers to these two particular stories, uh, it calls them a baptism. So 1 Peter 3, Peter refers to the flood narrative in Noah's time, and he calls that a baptism. In 1 Corinthians 10, Paul refers to the story of the Exodus, and he calls that a baptism. Why? Because baptism communicates both destruction and new life. Now, by the time we get to Jesus, we see that Jesus understands baptism in a similar fashion. You have his two disciples, James and John, and they say this to Jesus, Can I sit at your right hand? And here is how Jesus responds. He says, Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And when he says that, you know what he's actually referring to? He is referring to the cross. And that brings us to this pa- our passage today. You know, that's actually how the Apostle Paul, who is the author of this letter, that's how he regards baptism in this passage. You see, he says in verse 3, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? You see, for Jesus, baptism refers to his death on a cross. On the cross, he experienced the, the meaning of water, right? He experienced chaos. He experienced destruction. He experienced judgment through the baptismal waters. God promised he wouldn't do that to humanity uh, in the days of Noah, but Rather than pouring it out upon humanity for their sins again, what he actually does is he pours it out upon his son. And that is ultimately how God deals with sin. That's ultimately how God deals with justice. That's ultimately how love is demonstrated for us. The water of baptism is a baptism unto death. And when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, what it means is this. We are united to him, even in his death. It is the death of something, the death of our old self. It is the death of sin. It is the death of death itself. And Paul says this in verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Paul is saying this, in Christ, our old self, the body of sin, has been put to death. And notice here, Paul, he is using sin in the singular, and therefore he's not, he's not talking about sin as like, oh, it's like the bad things that we do or the bad thoughts or the bad actions that we have, but he's talking about sin here as a condition that we have And what is that condition? Well, the way he puts it here is we are essentially slaves. We were slaves to sin. Now, we have to extract that meaning a little bit because when we think about slavery, it's hard for us to disconnect it from, you know, the atrocities of the race-based permanent form of slavery against uh, Africans during the African slave trade. But, you know, in the ancient world, slavery was actually a way of paying your debts. 
And so if you owed somebody money, you, would, uh, you might sell yourself to that owner. And once you've worked enough to pay off that debt, uh, you would purchase your freedom. And so if you, uh, when Paul says this, when he says that we were slaves to sin, he is saying that we were all enslaved to some kind of spiritual master. He's saying this, that we, in our sin, because of sin, we don't have control, uh, especially when it comes to desires of our hearts. Uh, we are not in control in terms of our anxieties, in terms of our fears, in terms of our anger, in terms of our depressions. There is a spiritual master that is ultimately controlling us. And what the spiritual master oftentimes reflects is a deep desire within our hearts, an idol that we are worshiping in our hearts, something that we are making ultimate. And so, you know, when we uh, are just gripped by anxiety, it's usually because we desire something so badly that we're so afraid of losing that thing. When we explode in anger, it usually means that something has gripped the desires of our hearts so much so that it makes us do things that we maybe regret doing later on. Uh, when we can't forgive somebody, it says with this, we're enslaved for our, by our own desires for our own sense of justice. And you see, as long as we are gripped by something within our hearts, Scripture says this is our spiritual master. We are essentially slaves to these things. And the only thing that can free us from this is Christ. It's his work on the cross. Or to put it another way, the only thing that can give us true freedom is the baptism of Jesus Christ. How? Well, <clears throat> the death of Jesus, it's only half the story because the other half of the story is resurrection. And with resurrection comes a promise of new life. And we read in verse 4, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And that means this, that we who were slaves are now made free through Christ. We who were unclean are now made clean through Christ. We who were once dead in our transgressions are now raised to new life in Christ. And we are now invited to be part of this new creation where there is no more sin, no more death. And you have this in John's vision in, of the new heaven and new earth in Revelation 21. And he gives us this beautiful vision of the future where we will dwell with God fully, where there will be no more sin, no more death, no more tears. And there is one thing that is missing in this vision of the new heaven and the new earth. And do you know what is missing there? There is no water. <laughs> Even in that vision, it says this, there is no more sea. Why? Because the absence of the sea signifies that there is no more chaos, no more destruction, no more pain, no more hurt, no more judgment, no more death. That is the promise that comes through the promise of baptism. So what is the meaning of baptism? Baptism is ultimately about death and resurrection. Baptism is essentially the message of the gospel that Christians believe. It's a sign that points to it. Baptism points to the judgment that Christ received on our behalf. Baptism points to the fact that we were baptized into Jesus' death, and therefore there is a death of our old self. Baptism points to the fact that we have been raised to new life with Christ and sin no longer reigns in us, that we are cleansed by his blood, that we are received into his kingdom, that we are invited to be part of his new creation. And so when Martin Luther says this, remember your baptism, he is saying this. He's not saying, remember the moment that you were baptized. No, because some of you maybe have been baptized when you were infants and you don't remember the moment. But he's essentially saying this, remember the meaning of baptism. When you are discouraged, remember the meaning of baptism. In your struggle against sin, 
Remember the meaning of baptism. Remember that Jesus Christ himself underwent the baptism unto death so that you might receive new life. Remember the promises that come with baptism in new life. Baptism is something that is meant to encourage you and help you in your daily struggles in life with faith, with sin, with whatever else we struggle with daily. Now, if you look at this passage, you know, it's interesting. What is Paul addressing here? Look how the passage starts. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. You know, in the letter to the Romans, uh, he's just gotten through talking about the gospel and saying, you know, God accepts us on the basis of faith and not on the basis of our works. And the question that people will oftentimes ask afterwards is this. Well, if God accepts us on the basis of faith and not on the basis of our works, not on the basis of whether we're good people, then what is the point of obeying God if he accepts us on the basis of faith, right? That's a common uh, question that people may have even in the ancient world, and that's what Paul is addressing and answering here. And his answer is a rhetorical question, and he basically says this, how can we who died to sin still live in it? You can't. If you die to sin, you cannot live in sin anymore. You've been united to Christ in his death and resurrection. You are now dead to sin. Now, what exactly does that mean? Because uh, we look at our lives and we say, that's not really true. Uh, I still struggle with sin. Uh, there are still things that I do that are very self-seeking and very self-centered. What does he mean by that? You know, there's a helpful illustration. Uh, I think it's probably the best illustration I've heard to illustrate this, and it comes from a British preacher, Martin Lloyd-Jones. And what he says is this. He says, you know, imagine you were a slave in the South uh, prior to uh, Abraham Lincoln's emancipa- Emancipation Proclamation. If you were a slave in the South, that means you have no power, you have no control of your future, you couldn't vote, uh, your owners could beat you and kill you, and you just had to take it, and there would be very little consequences or repercussions. But you know, after Lincoln uh, made a declaration, after the Emancipation Proclamation, legally he was saying, there's no more slaves, you are now free, and now you have rights. But you know the problem with legislation sometimes is that although your status, your legal status changes, your daily experience of that reality doesn't change immediately. It doesn't change right away. So, for example, you have a former slave owner, and uh, they, they start yelling at a slave and talking to a former slave as if they were still a slave. And even though you're not legally a slave anymore because of the Emancipation Proclamation, you might still act in a way as if you were still a slave according to the law because you're just not used to uh, this new legal status, this new change. Uh, you might act scared or you might act in a way where you they still have control over you and you still obey them and do whatever they want but you know the reality is according to the law you are a slave no longer i think that's what paul is trying to get across here when we put our faith in christ he's saying this the power of sin no longer enslaves us he's not saying that we don't deal with uh the experience or the struggle of sin daily But he's saying this legally. Your status now, because of Jesus' death and resurrection, you are no longer a slave to sin. Jesus' death and resurrection is our very own emancipation proclamation. And one day, one day we are going to experience fully that which Christ legislated through his death. But as of now, sin remains still. And therefore, even though sin no longer has power over us, 
We sometimes live and act as though we are still slaves to sin. And so he says in this, in verse 11, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's how we ought to consider ourselves, friends. If you have been baptized, if you are united with Christ, if you have received the gospel and put your faith in him, that is who we are in Christ. Baptism is supposed to be a powerful reminder of that. I know some of us, um, you know, when we come here on Sundays, we come with our Sunday faces, right? Uh, we come thinking like we have it all put together. But I'm sure there are so many of us, believer or not, uh, we're messed up inside. Uh, we're discouraged. We're struggling with our faith. We have all these doubts. We're not sure what we're doing with our lives. We feel like we're struggling with the same sin over and over again. There doesn't seem to be any evidence of faith, any growth in our lives. What are we doing? And we're discouraged, right? Hope it's not just me. <laughs> I think it's many of us. And because of that, despair can really bring us down and say, because of all these struggles that you have, don't remember the work of Christ. Don't remember what it accomplished for you. Don't remember that his promises are secure because they are not based on you, but they are based on his work. But we, what we must do is we must remember our baptism because in remembering our baptism, we remember it's not about us. It's about Christ. In remembering our baptism, we remember we are no longer slaves to sin, but we have been raised to new life in Christ Jesus. And as you see the baptism today, remember your baptism and remember the work of Christ in your life. Let's pray together.